everyone. Welcome back to the Evergreen Book Club. We're glad you're with us. Uh, joining us today, uh, directly across from me, is the one and only Kyle Rosskamp, a strong 12 feet of social distancing apart. And in between Kyle and I is the one and only Laura Mayle. Laura, uh, Kyle and I talked last week um, during this book club about books that we've been reading. Um, I recently completed a book called The Source by James Mishner. Kyle recently completed a book called The Map Thief. Who is that book by Kyle? Michael Blanding. By Michael Blanding. Um, true story. Really interesting. Um, I haven't read it yet, but I've purchased it. Laura, what what have you been reading recently? I consumed a book called Addicted to Busy by Brady Boyd. Yeah, um, that's It was a good an amazing one. book. It's at the library here at Evergreen, in case you're interested. <laughs> Saw it today. Mm-hmm. was part of your sabbatical reading, wasn't it? It was. It was good. Nice. Awesome. What, uh, what was that book about, Laura? I would imagine that the title can <laughs> gives a little bit of it away, it but can you give us it what, it's give about us a little who insight? Are addicted to being busy. <laughs> and well, and and then on top of that, how to unaddict yourself from being busy? Basically, how to put some healthy rhythms in place for um, just work accountability and rest accountability. It's good. Awesome. Well, hey, we're gonna jump right into it. Uh, today's uh, podcast is gonna. Uh, focus specifically on the um, second chapter um, called Transparency. It's within part one, uh, which is titled The Way We We Live. So basically from pages 37 through 56, uh, assuming that everyone in this room and everyone following along has read those pages. uh, Kyle, how about we start with you? What is this section about? (laughs) Um, I had found that this section, the first section we read was about truth and how to um, acknowledge, proclaim, and understand truth. And I think this section is about how we communicate that truth with other people. And what I have gathered from it is that uh, Brennan is kind of arguing that in the midst of our desire to communicate this truth that we believe and feel and that we know about Jesus, that to be transparent and to be like Jesus is the best way to communicate that. So he goes through lists of like things that Christians are known to do um, poorly in this uh, desire, in this quest to become more transparent. I mean, it's why it's important that we fix those things because he describes in the first page of this chapter that um, the one who imitates Jesus allows Jesus become to become transparent in their personality and to be windows of God at work uh, and what that looks like and how to do that. So that's what it was like to me. Nice. Laura, how did you experience this this section of reading? I'm going to be honest with you. This is way high level reading for uh, a hope grad like myself. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Just because you guys didn't go to Grand hey, Valley doesn't right? mean you can't participate. That's right. Uh, I, no, this is, it's, it's a book that has been um, challenging for me, to say the least. Um, I'm understanding it like, Maybe it's just because I'm someone who needs to dialogue to digest some of this stuff, so I'm really excited to be able to do that with you guys today, but um, this was a difficult read for me. That's what I got for you right now. That's fair. That was largely the experience last time as well, and I I think it's appropriate for us to just acknowledge that together of like, Mm -hmm. man, this is a tough book to 
um, premiere the Evergreen Book Club with. But I, I think the more that I read this, the more and more that I think or understand that it, man, what an incredible book to start with. Um, you read through different parts of this book and think, man, this is exactly how people view me as a church worker. This is exactly how people are evaluating me as a Christian. And whether I am willing to come to grips with the reality or not, I am far closer to the problems in this book than I am to the solutions. And I think that that is what makes reading this book so difficult for me, is I naturally, and even as described largely in this book, in this section of transparency, I'm, I'm naturally drawn to minimize that and pretend that my shortcomings don't exist. And unfortunately, this section continues to push me further and further down that path of I need to be evaluating uh, how I'm living my life far more deeply than I currently am. What has hit me in th- in this book is that Brennan Manning calls out a lot of things about me and about the communities I spend my time in and have grew up in that are hard to acknowledge, right? Because it's a lot about like what staleness looks like, about what routine Christianity looks like, and about what Christianity as a um, as like a self identity looks like, instead of this just hard, constant struggle and constant like growth and understanding. And that's why it like is difficult for me. I think a lot of what this book is talking about too is just stuff that we have heard. If you've grown up in the church, you have heard this all your life. This is nothing new. It's just not modeled well for us anywhere except for in the person of Jesus. And there aren't good people doing this well as examples for us. Does that make sense? Like I I struggle to be able to name like, Here's someone who is living this out so well that I want to do that. I think that that is largely the reality that we're living in right now, right? We, we've talked about starting a book club for a few weeks way before shelter in place was, was a thing. Um, it's really effective right now. It's a good way for us to connect um, with other people. But when we think of the state that we're in right now, of the global impact of the coronavirus, uh, Brennan Manning writes on page 38 at the kind of beginning of this transparency section, often our preoccupation with the three most basic human desires, security, pleasure, and power, is the cloak that covers transparency. The endless struggle for enough money, good feelings, and prestige yields a rich harvest of worry, frustration, suspicion, anger, jealousy, anxiety, fear, and resentment. I think of we have lost all three of those fundamental principles over the last couple of weeks. We have lost our sense of security as a as a community, uh, largely as a global community. We've lost our sense of pleasure because what we hear the most right now is that people are bored. And we've lost our sense of power because we're starting to realize that there is a virus that is reminding us of our own humanity. And so what is crazy to me is that the outcome of pursuing or the outcome of our preoccupation with security, pleasure, and power being a struggle for enough money, good feelings, prestige, um, the same outcome 
happens when we lose those things. When we lose security, when we lose pleasure, when we lose p- power, if our pre- preoccupation is in that space, we still are stuck with a struggle for enough money, good feelings, prestige. I, I think that's that's really crazy to me. It's this, it's this tough reminder that we're chasing after the wrong thing. And as we chase after the wrong thing, it creates more anxiety in these emotions. And as we lose what we're chasing after, it creates anxiety in a lot of these same emotions. Yeah, there's a, like, I think sometimes we get confused about what transparency is in like a relational human context. Like we often like uh, misplace vulnerability and transparency and like think that they're equal and think that they're the same. And in this chapter, Brennan Manning does a really good job of like using the word transparency as what transparency is, right? Transparency isn't just like admitting sometimes when you're wrong or like, you know, being vulnerable or like admitting to someone that you're sad. Transparency is literally becoming transparent to allow Jesus to be the thing that comes out of you. And those two things might seem the same, but in practice, they're completely different. And the unfortunate transparency of ourselves and our culture is that people don't see Jesus in the midst of our transparency. They see a preoccupation with security, pleasure, and power. And um, man, that's tough. (laughs) (laughs) So why do you think that is? Because when I think of you know, they always, you know, I'm talking with my students. I know what it is that they love by what they're doing and how they speak and what they're interacting with. I mean, they're watching YouTube videos and then mimicking those videos and recreating, you know, TikTok videos. I mean, it's just like <laughs> they're mimicking the things that they love. And so how do we translate that into mimicking what God loves and what God hates, you know? I, I think that continues to help us digest that bottom of page 38, that whole preoccupation with security, pleasure, and power, because he continues with, they continually focus our attention on self and keep us from being transparent. And so when we're constantly chasing after these, like, largely selfish, I don't want to say selfish desires, because it sounds like, of course, some church worker would say something like that but like we f- we focus on what we want and our constant perf- perpetual self-focus um helps we're completely missing what surrounds us and even and i think to your point when we default away from self we often default to historically super Christian rhythms that we don't engage well in. And we say, hey, we've been trying to be transparent, and yet I don't feel like I can live more deeply for Jesus, even after I do the Bible study, the small group, the church every Sunday, the singing passionately. Um, I don't know that people are walking away from that, as you noted, more deeply embodying who Christ is. That's a whole notion of like, when your idea of being more like Jesus is being yourself more like the Jesus that you read about in the Bible, that turn that manifests itself as these disciplines, 
right? But when you understand having the mind of Jesus to think, because having the mind of Jesus means to desire the world to be like Jesus desired the world to be. And when you start thinking about that, the mind of Jesus turns into a infrastructure, a ecosystem of human beings like doing that together, making the world more like Jesus would want it to be instead of everyone in their little pockets just saying, oh, I want to be the best, most theologically accurate, the best pedestal version of a Christian that I can be. And that just, yeah, that doesn't seem fun, important. It doesn't even need to be fun, but it doesn't seem like an important, worthwhile endeavor for anyone that doesn't find value in those things. And when does it become legalistic versus just intrinsically who you are. For sure. In the, in the, then the next section of the life of Christ, he starts to describe Paul's writings in Philippians and acknowledges it uh, in the bottom of 43 into 44. Paul's cheeks are still streaked because of the tepidity, rank insincerity, spiritual adultery, indifference to prayer, ignorance of God's word, uh, comfortable piety, and apostolic sloth that dapple the Christian life in America today. I mean, that's largely what you just described, Kyle. Um, and man, that is a tough, tough reality to face. I say to students, find easy, simple ways to be like Jesus, right? But does telling them that does telling them that make them think that being like Jesus is simple and easy? Hmm. And that does that excuse them from doing the things that Jesus would have done that are hard and uncomfortable and radical? Does that make sense? It does. But I think what people need to be introduced to is the real Jesus, as we've kind of run around yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, already sure. today. But the difficulty is not, oh, man, be clearly in um, silent prayer for 60 minutes uh, without interruption. Make sure I read 15 pages of my Bible every morning as the first thing I get up. That I think we're hearing in this particular space of uh, writing that that's not... W- that's not the hard thing we're talking about. That's not like the hard thing we're talking about is actually pretty easy. And all it is, is to allow the Christ we know inside of us to shine through us. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other uh, quote here um, in that section. Uh, People have had their belly full of our sermonizing. Uh, They want a source of strength for their lives. Uh, We can only recommend this strength by making it actively present in our own lives. And I think our, our church's failure is suggesting that the thing that needs to be actively present in our own lives is more Bible studies, more small groups, more of this, more, more, more qualifying Christianity. And we're not saying let's let the light of Christ shine through us. And how do we unveil that light that is within us? And if it doesn't exist within us, that's okay. But let us help nurture that like let, let us help build that within you so that's the thing that shines through not just really great rhythms of bible study yeah and like how do we if we claim to be desiring for everyone who doesn't know jesus to know jesus then like that is the greatest sin we can commit is by doing that like it's this 23 year old woman he describes in paris writing 
this to me a christian is either a man who lives in christ or a phony you christians do not appreciate that it is on this that we judge you you ought to radiate christ your faith ought to flow out to us like a river of life you ought to infect us with a love for him it is then that god who was impossible becomes possible for the atheist and for those of us whose faith is wavering we cannot help be struck upset and confused by a christian who is truly christ-like we do not forgive him when he fails to be it's like what <laughs> What are we doing? Like, if we're not being like Jesus, what are we doing? And why are we focused on all the things that aren't that? And how do we bring the church and the big C church and the specific church to a magnifying glass with the sun, focus on just encouraging people, helping people, empowering people to be like Jesus? One of the things it looks like she's stating in that too is just the what is discussed later at the bottom of that is that the visible presence of Jesus is really present in Christians as a whole and so how do we make it visible um, I think a lot of times when we're talking about our relationship with with Jesus it's those it's that I'm going to spend my quality time in prayer by myself I'm going to read the Bible by myself and like we are not doing anything so that the inward matches the outward that people see and i don't i don't know how to, <laughs> i don't know that i know how to make that more visible it's almost that jesus is like more visible in the absence than he is in like the presence of stuff like the absence of judgment absence of judgment in the gospels the absence of like condemnation and a lot i mean not totally but in a lot of spaces the absence of like this religious um routine and functionality that we talk about where he teaches largely where the people are at and just i think to a lot of people christians seem like people i think connect more with christians in the absence of those things than they do in the presence of whatever wisdom whatever lifestyle whatever theology we can impart on people where they connect with christians is when they say oh i assumed this person would judge me for my lifestyle for the way i live i assumed this person would have something to say about the things that i'm doing when in reality the absence of those things is much more powerful than anything we can bring to the table which i think it's so hard because we continue to convince ourselves they're going to attach to something, right? So we keep giving them something. We go really intense and aggressive with it. We provide scripture. We provide prayer. We provide whatever stuff that they can do to be saved and to like attach to this idea when in reality, the person of Jesus thrived in the absence of a lot of that stuff. And that has been absolutely exposed in the last couple of weeks. When churches are faced or forced to do things differently when they're forced to not even meet. And all of a sudden, us as as church leaders, as church workers are looking around saying, oh man, we're attributing these rhythms or, or these systems or these practices to fulfilling God's mission, to fulfilling that in other people. And we're being challenged to say, man, we got we to gotta do that differently now. And uh, it's really forced our church to have a almost necessary reset on what are we doing? Why are we doing, why are we doing it? And how do we do it the way God is calling us to do it? One of the um, lines in here on page 49 in the first paragraph, it says contact with Christians should be an experience that proves to people that the gospel is a power that transforms the whole life. 
And so I guess part of it for us is we talk about this transformation that God has done in our lives, but it's like a light switch that that is visible, right? So in some decisions, that was very evident, and in other decisions we're making, it's not. And so that balance of, of how does that continue to be something that people see and that, that we even see in ourselves, because I think there's times that I, too, am not remembering the transformation that the gospel has done in my own life. Brennan Manning points out scripture is not about the transmission of inert ideas. It's called a love, and love that does not lead to action is not love. Right. <laughs> I mean, man, that that is that's the challenge. How do we go as a church beyond just transmitting scripture? And how do we live into loving others and we're not, we need to be reminded that we are not loving others because we're saying we love you and we love others. We're loving others because we're actively caring for other people. It's, it's more than just the saying we love it and acknowledging we love it and proclaiming it or posting it or whatever, uh, letting everyone in the world know we love it. It's not about that. It's actually doing it. And I think that that's, that's a huge cause of anxiety right now on social media. You scroll through uh, any social media feed and it's all about talking about how much people love other people it's it's all this um call to love but we're not seeing the action we're not it's it's don't forget about these people we love them well okay how, how are you actively loving them well we i, I think about them uh, it's like it's like being a part of a recovery church we're really excited to be a part of a recovery church but none of us are going through our own recovery we all need to be doing that so how are yeah. we actively living out the things that God is actually calling us to do and be and not just putting words to it. So the this section of transparency uh, ends with this kind of continual conversion conversation. Uh, what does continual conversion or uh, what does that mean to you guys uh, or I don't know. How, how do you, what does that mean to you? How did you experience that idea, that philosophy, that call to continual conversion? Um, yeah. How, how did that impact you in reading this book? I think a continual conversion to me looks like people who are constantly asking themselves, what is, what is of Jesus and what have we claimed is of Jesus and what does that turn into? Right. It's like, what has what is essential to this and what am i claiming is essential because it allows me to not sacrifice pleasure power security mm -hmm. and to abandon those three things in order to really ask myself what the lord has for me in terms of loving that is action that's hard and i don't do that ever, ever. but i think continual conversion is asking yourself every day what power do i need to give up what pleasure do I need to give up? What security do I need to give up in order to do the thing that I think is right? An hour ago, I walked into this room with both of you and I told you that my wife is going to probably go to New York for a month or three months to help people with the whatever coronavirus stuff is happening over there. And I was talking to her on the phone and the first question I ask is how much are they going to pay you? <laughs> right? Yeah. But I was think sitting in here thinking like, if I believe 
in my heart that I want these people to be healthy, if I believe in my heart that I want these people to be cared for well, and if I believe in my heart that like this is a problem that needs to be fixed, this is the first time that I am having to sacrifice some of my security, some of my pleasure, and hopefully not some of my (laughs) financial power, (laughs) but maybe to like help people, right? And that's hard for me because it's like, oh, my wife is super willing to in the midst of me talking about all of this stuff in a room in front of microphones, my wife is, is like packing up to go do that. And I'm uncomfortable with it. But like, man, that is, it feels good going through this. That, oh, okay, finally, like I'm willing to give up some of this security that I feel or some of this power that I feel or some of this pleasure that I'll feel. And I'm willing to be lonely for a few weeks. And I'm not even the person that's doing it, right? <laughs> I'm willing to be lonely for a few weeks. I'm willing to like not have anything to do. I'm not willing to let, or I'm willing to let my companion go so that I know that people are being cared for and that sucks, but I need to do it more. And I, I'm constantly, like I said, asking questions like how much are they going to pay you to wiggle my way out of those fears? And that's stupid. I think that you so in that you so appropriately acknowledge the reality that the, the, the challenge of our reality, which it, the, the answer to these problems is not disregard security, pleasure and power. The answer to this is to continue to acknowledge how that we've tried to create a Jesus uh, within us that can live um, as a both and to our own pursuit of security, pleasure, and power. And man, I I feel like if we can, if we can find ways, you're you're exactly right. If, If we can find ways to not work so hard at finding ways for Jesus to fit in among the other stuff that we want to maintain and simply just give up more, um, give in more, not give in to emptiness, but to give in to the trust and fullness of Christ. Like, wow, what an incredible life that is to live. Yeah, it says in the chapter that Jesus' message is not a reassurance to keep right on doing what we've been doing, but a summons to the labor of eliminating from our lives faithfully and preservingly everything in us that is opposed to the work and will of the Holy Spirit. He uses the word labor here, describes it as a summons of labor, I think, to describe how hard it is. I think sometimes separating uh, the things that he calls us to and the things that we feel called to are where that labor happens. When we feel that we're being pulled away from pleasure or pulled away from security or pulled away from power, um, those are the times in which we run away. But if we can start to have critical thoughts and critical conversations uh, with God and with others about uh what spaces we need to give power up, what spaces we need to give security up, and what spaces we need to give pleasure up, um, that is when we become transparent and that is when we become people who can make the world a little bit more like Jesus wanted it to be. I think also this is not, this is a daily thing um, that we got to continue to reorient ourselves back. And I think, you know, John 15, and we're going to teach on it this week, and Mm -hmm. Um, in our sermon, and just abiding in me, dwelling in me, in me um, resort to me, come to me. And, and that is done by daily reevaluating where we're at, like starting, like every day is a fresh start, and, and recognizing some days we're going to fail at this, and that's, that's why I look at the, like the continual conversion is every day I'm learning new things, and I, I need to put checks and balances to help me continue, because I'm going to take steps back. 
um, even though I need to keep taking steps forward. There's going to be times where I need to have a gut check and come back to him and start recentering, I guess, each day and, and like starting over like, okay, today, God, do this, you know, show me this, help, you know, trying to, to make him more evident in my life and give me eyes to see the things that he loves and the things that he hates so that I can act on them accordingly. Like our heart should be transformed to want to see the things that he sees and to want to do and respond the way he would. And so we have to keep learning what that looks like so that we can then put action and not just words towards that stuff. But that's not easy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, man, thank you both for just jumping in man what a what an incredible reality um, for us to be able to consume a book together to talk about it and just in our conversation start to realize our deep need for grace and so uh, thank you for joining us thank you Kyle thank you Laura um, and thank you for those of you who are uh, joining in by listening uh, we wish we could be together uh, but we're glad uh, for the opportunity that we have so until next time have a great day uh, we'll look forward to another episode with you soon.